Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Saturday morning live group of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Sandy Bauman, alcoholic. How are you all doing this morning? Well, it's great to see everybody here this morning, and we always start out by giving a special welcome to anybody who has never been to this meeting before. If you're just joining us at this particular meeting, why we hope you get something out of it, and hope you enjoy it, and we certainly want to welcome you. And if there's anybody here this morning who is new, relatively new to Alcoholics Anonymous, if you have just gotten arrived here in this fellowship, good. We want to welcome you and uh, let you know how much we care and also to let you know that everybody in this room has been through those feelings that you're having where you just are uh, not sure you're in the right place and a uh, little bit of fear, anxiety. I ought to get out of here before it's too late. And uh, I think these people are too serious about all this not drinking and they don't understand, I'll never make it, or whatever feelings that you're having. Why, all of us had those, and all we can tell you is they're going to go away, and your life is going to get a lot better. Uh, there's going to be a lot of wonderful surprises in store for you if you will stick around here. On the other hand, if you go back out, there's nothing but more trouble. Whatever has happened before, it'll get worse. So please go against your better judgment and stay here until a lot, two or three months goes by, and then you'll have a chance to see uh, how this works. It's customary to start our meetings with our preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And if you're new, you'll hear this read at just about every meeting that you go to, and it's a wonderful idea because it starts out by just reminding us exactly what Alcoholics Anonymous is and what we're all doing here this morning and at 250 other AA meetings every single day in the Washington, D.C. area. So there's lots of people that are doing what we're doing, and I don't think it'll take you too long to figure out what happens is Somehow, when we get together as a group, we're able to do something that none of us would be able to do on our own. All of us on our own, you leave us out there, and we're trying to stay sober and get our lives together, and we can't. So we're a bunch of losers as far as trying to stay sober and get our lives together. And you put us all in one room, and instead of having the police come and having a big problem... By some miracle, we're able to all stay sober and happy and get on with our lives. And so the miracle of AA is that when we get together, we seem to be able to help each other stay sober, and then we all stay sober. So it's a wonderful thing to become part of an AA group and participate in this wonderful thing called recovery. Now, we've got a couple of announcements to get out of the way. There was one more announcement that I had, which was a copy of a ticket to the Men's Home Benefit. If you're not familiar with the Men's Home, it's one of the 
oldest places where it was like a halfway house for guys that didn't have a job and they're trying to stay sober and it's over in Alexandria and they get all their money from um, donations, mostly from AA. And so if they're selling tickets to this at your group and you can't go, buy a ticket anyway because the main purpose of this is to keep that place going. So it's just a plug for the men's home. I don't have, I got one ticket here, but, um, they're selling them at all the groups. It's mainly to just encourage you to go ahead and participate in that. So we'll get on now with the uh, meeting. If you haven't been here before, why this meeting's a little bit different than most of our other meetings in that it's a, uh, classroom type presentation as opposed to speakers meetings or discussion meetings. As we mention every week, there's four or five uh, meetings like this in the Washington area. I think the oldest is the Presbyterian Center on Tuesday nights. Uh, probably 25 years ago they started that one. And it's just uh, the idea came up that it would be nice to have a place where you could just go and sit down and you wouldn't have to be called on when it's your turn to talk about a step. And you'd know ahead of time that somebody with a lot of time in AA, 10 years or something like that, would be sharing uh, following our literature and just might be helpful if you're new or even if you've been around a while and you're trying to get a refocus on our steps in getting an idea of what this, the heart of the AA program is, which is our 12 steps. So that's the point of this meeting. We go through the steps here one at a time. We're on step 11 today. Next week will be 12. The week after that we'll do the traditions. And then I guess right in the middle of, uh, April, i got to look at the calendar make sure it's not the week we don't have the meeting, but it'll be question week. We're going to try this one time. We'll have a basket back there. When you come in, if you have a question you've always wanted to ask about AA, the steps, the traditions, anything that you're just real curious about, put your name in the basket and we'll draw them out during, until we run out of time, and then you can ask the question and we'll attempt to give you a good answer to it. So that'll be right after the traditions. And then we have two weeks on the history of AA, and we start all over again. And so our cycle here is like 15 weeks to go through the whole thing. Now, having said all that, and I know every week we have some new people here, so prior to getting to step 11, let me make some introductory comments about the steps, and then we'll get to uh, our step on meditation. Uh, number one, the 12 steps. That's our AA program. That's what Alcoholics Anonymous is, is the 12 steps. That's what is the heart of what AA is. Now we have meetings, we have sponsors, we have all these events, conventions and retreats and all kinds of activities that go on that constitute the AA atmosphere or the environment. But in that environment, the whole purpose of all of that sponsors, and everything else, is to cause each one of us to work the 12 steps ourselves. And that's what AA is. It is a process that causes each one of us to work the 12 steps in our lives. And because of that, we get tremendous results. And we get something called happy sobriety where we're sober and we're absolutely delighted with not drinking. And if you're new, you got to listen to that. You have to get to where you're absolutely delighted with not drinking in order to have it work. You can't stay sober for a long time and miserable. 
That's what going on the wagon is. You look at look at drink, and then you just sit there, and your neck muscles are popping out, and you're sacrificing, and it's been almost an hour, you know, and now, hey, it's almost two hours, you know. Well, can you imagine going through the rest of your life? Well, it's 30 years and one hour, oh, you know. You would never make it. So that's not what AA does. In the beginning, it may feel like that, where you're just hanging on from day to day. But the point of all of this is we take other actions called these 12 steps, and we get a gift, and the gift is freedom from alcohol. You no longer are tormented with thinking about alcohol all the time, and you're free to go on and enjoy life. And we maintain this freedom from alcohol one day at a time by um, staying in fit spiritual condition because it's not a permanent fix. It is something that is done daily and as long as we remind ourselves to do this and we go to a meeting, we work our little spiritual program, have contact with other people, then this obsession with drinking stays away. But if you stop going to meetings, if you stop doing all these things we're talking about that the 12 steps talk about, the obsession to drink will come back. And that's why people have slips. And that's why people get miserable again. And they get resentful again. Is that we let down our guard and all that comes back. So it's not a permanent fix. It is one day at a time, which is what the whole spiritual program is about. One day at a time. So the 12 steps are what I like to call a game plan for living to replace the present plan that you have. Uh, a lot of people have a plan for living. All of us drunks had some sort of a plan. We had a philosophy of life, if you could call it that. Never trust anybody who won't drink with you. You know, very deep thoughts like that. And rip them off before they rip you off. You know, little tidbits of wisdom that you uh, assembled as you went through life, and uh, whether it sounds good or not, the results that you've been getting in your life should be sufficient proof to get rid of that plan of yours. But we don't. We hold on to our old ideas with a death grip, even though they're killing us. And when we come into AA, we talk about results instead of theory. So we go... I understand you're the smartest woman in the world, and you're the smartest guy in the world, and you went to Harvard, and you have this, or you have street smarts, or you're the top guy here, or whatever it is, but you are a mess. No one talks to you. You puke every day. The police are looking for you. Your family doesn't speak to you. You're unemployable. Your car doesn't run. Your clothes don't fit. The doctor says you're going to die soon. Why do you want to hold on to your plan? You see what I'm saying? If you look at the results you're getting, you should have gotten rid of it a long time ago. But we don't get rid of our plan. You know why? Because we thought it up. It's pride of authorship. I know it's a rotten plan, but I thought it up. You know what I mean? Like, So I don't want to get rid of it. And so that's why we, we, it's really funny how we cling to all these convictions that we have in spite of the fact that they're killing us. And so alcohol finally brings us to the front and we come in here and that's what surrendering is all about when we say that we're powerless in our first step. And I always got to talk a little bit about our first step and then we can move on. 
alcohol and the circumstances of your life got you here. That's because you didn't get here through an intellectual decision, unless you're the exception to the rule, where you had no trouble from your drinking. You were just sitting around your house one day, and you said, you know, there's a chance if I kept on drinking, I might get in trouble someday. I think I'll join AA ahead of time. Right? Not too many people here in that league, right? You came here because there was nowhere else to go. You came here because a cop told you to come here, a doctor told you to come here, a judge told you to come here. Someone told you to come here, and it wasn't your idea. You didn't want to. But you're here. And so your life was out of control. You could no longer manage it. And some crisis happened, and you found yourself in the middle of this crazy bunch. And now what's going to happen? You're going to get a chance to take a look at the reality of your own situation and see that it's probably been out of control for a long time. That you, deep down in your heart, have known that you're an alcoholic and that you may have tried to stop a few times without telling anybody just to prove you're not an alcoholic. And it was it didn't work. You needed alcohol. And so finally you got here and you were confronted with our first step. And this step said that we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. And the reason we always talk about the first step week after week after week here is because it's the doorway in to spirituality. No one came to AA to become spiritual. That was not our motive. And when we found out it was a spiritual program, tried to get out of here. Right? Whoops, spiritual. No, I'm not into that. I'm out of here. But there was nowhere else to go. So you had to come back and go, what's this spiritual crap? You know, and that was sort of our attitude towards this. Well, the answer was, this spiritual stuff is built on the fact that you're powerless. It doesn't, it doesn't take a genius to understand spirituality. When you run up against a situation where you're powerless, human beings have a tendency to call out for help because we've reached a spot where we can no longer, and when we go help, we have become open to having something besides ourselves help us. And we never heard of AA, and suddenly AA is helping us. You never heard of this sponsor who is suddenly in your life a tremendous supply of help. You wouldn't have made it without him or her coming into your life. And suddenly this force, in the beginning, the force is AA. There is this force that is helping you, and you're making it. And you're doing pretty good. But you know inside that you wouldn't be able to make it on your own. You know that you are relying on these meetings and you're relying on your sponsor and these new friends that you have and these phone numbers and this list of meetings and you go there and there's a meeting all the time and it's okay. So this took care of being powerless. So that's why it's so essential to admit that you're powerless. Because if you didn't admit that you were powerless, then you wouldn't need the sponsor. You wouldn't need the meeting. And so this, it's a, one of those, it's the only step that is done 100%. The rest of them are goals that we try and achieve. But the first step is a must. 
It must be done 100%. You cannot come to the conclusion that you are almost powerless over alcohol. Because if you come to that conclusion, you will almost need a sponsor, you'll almost need meetings, you'll almost get sober. Almost getting sober is like never coming here at all. So when we say we're powerless, let me make one more comment and then I can move on. When we say we're powerless, it's essential that you understand this. When we say you're powerless over alcohol, we do not mean that whenever you drink, you get all screwed up. Now, listen to this if you're new. It does not mean whenever you drink, you get all screwed up. If that's your total problem, whenever you drink, you get all screwed up, that's not much of a problem. Because if that's your only problem, then you're the same as a person who is allergic to bananas and goes to the doctor and finds out finally what's causing all of these rashes and losing your breath and whatever. He said, Jesus, whenever you eat bananas, just don't eat bananas again and you'll be fine. And that's good news to that person. And they don't join with other banana allergy people and have little meetings and how did you not eat a banana today? And, you know, I saw a banana split and I went crazy and I had to... And the reason they don't do that is just the knowledge that you this is what the allergy is is enough to take care of the problem. Because the problem was when something got in our system, we got all screwed up. So if your problem is whenever you drink, you get all screwed up, and that's your only problem in life, then all you have to do is not drink and everything will be wonderful. But as I look around the room, I don't see people going... Right, you know. Because we all know that when we don't drink, things don't get wonderful. They get worse. You know why they get worse? Because you're sober. And you're sober always. And you need a break from sobriety. That's why I went to the bar. I went into the bar and I said to the bartender, I've been sober for three goddamn days, man. I need help. What did I need help from? I needed help from being sober. That's what I needed. I couldn't stand it. It was too much pressure just being out there alone. I needed alcohol to help me with my problem. So, you see, my problem wasn't that when I drank so much I got all screwed up. My problem was there before all that started. My problem was I was having a problem with life. I was having a problem that I couldn't relate. I didn't feel right with other people. I was either better than everybody or worse than everybody, and nobody understood, and I didn't fit in, and there was always conflict, and the world was so screwed up, and it was a very threatening place, and people were always talking about me, and I whatever it was, alcohol fixed it. That's why we're alcoholics. Alcohol fixed something. Alcohol doesn't fix things for non-alcoholics. Non-alcoholics don't talk about alcohol as the secret of life. You don't talk to non-alcoholics. They don't even know what the hell we're talking about. They sit there with a drink sometimes and screw around with it, let the ice melt, and sitting over here, and and you're sitting there going, drink it, drink it, what's wrong with you? And I'm just looking at them, and it's not an answer. It's a nice social thing, and they use it sometimes, and it feels good or something like that, but it doesn't 
get to the core of their being and fix everything and make the world a wonderful place and make us complete for the first time in our lives. When alcohol came into me, I felt like what I imagine a car battery must feel like when it finally gets water poured in it. You know what I mean? Now I know why I was created. And the juice comes out and and you're finally complete. So you take all the water out and you walk around and there's something missing. So that's what alcohol was for me. It fixed what was missing. I was incomplete without alcohol. That's why I was an that's why I'm an alcoholic. Other people aren't like this. We're the ten percent who when you pour this in, magic happens. And that's why our problem is not whenever we drink so much, things bad things happen. Our problem is when we don't drink, there's something missing, and drinking apparently fixed it. So that's what alcoholism, and that's what being powerless over alcohol is, because what that means is if you are sober, healthy, you've had alcoholism explained to you, you fully understand for the first time in your life exactly what your problem is, that won't help you at all. That won't help you at all. You will now be a smart drunk. And when you're walking around, you'll go, I can explain exactly why I drink. I'm an alcoholic. And you will be the world's leading expert on alcoholism, but you won't be able to stay sober. Because your problem was not that you were ignorant about alcohol. Your problem was you're powerless over it. You, on your own, cannot avoid taking the first drink. So you can see your problem occurs, or our problem, I shouldn't be saying you, our problem occurs when there's no alcohol in our system. It's almost a misnomer to call us alcoholics. Our problem happens when there's no alcohol in our system. And we're trying to not take the first drink. That's the heart of the problem. We're walking around. We're absolutely sober. We know if we start drinking, we're going to get all screwed up. So what do we do? Uh, Can I have a Budweiser, please? That's what we do. It's insanity. It's absolute sense. Knowing that this will probably happen again, I go in and drink again, telling myself this time it'll be different because back in 1961, it was different once. You see, and that's why we will never be able on our own to not take the first drink. Now, when we take it, then... Katie, by the door, all these other problems happen. When we say we're powerless, we have started a spiritual life. That's why it's so important to focus on that. Because when you say you're powerless, you are saying, by paraphrasing that, unless there's a higher power, it's all over for me. That's what we're saying when we say we're powerless. So, if that's your situation, if the truth of the reality of where you are in your life is, unless a higher power shows up, I'm going down the tube. All we have to do is change our mind about a higher power. And that's the big struggle for most of us alcoholics shortly after we get to AA. Yeah, I'm powerless, all right. Good. All you have to do to start a wonderful new life is change your mind about a higher power. Change my mind about a higher power. You don't understand. I was brought up Catholic. I was brought up Southern Baptist. Oh, I already tried the higher power stuff. It doesn't work. I don't think God likes me. Whatever your little 
previous experience with this higher power may have been, or you had no experience, or whatever it is, you have to change your mind. That's what's involved here. And you don't change your mind because we show you a higher power and then you believe in it. We don't try to do that in AA. This is not a religion. We're a spiritual program. So we don't have a higher power. If there's 420 people in this room, there are 420 higher powers. Each one of us has our own idea, and AA doesn't try and tell you what it is. We don't know what it is. We just know what it is for me. But we do have steps that are universal in nature, which, if followed, will put you in touch with your own personal higher power. Then you can describe it to the best of your ability to yourself and to others if you care to, or you can simply continue to do these steps and enjoy the reality of a higher power in your life. That's your choice. So we don't specialize in proving the existence of a higher power, but what we do, and I think we're very good at it, is convincing you of the need for one. And if you will accept 100% that you need a higher power, it will show up. Because the only reason you haven't experienced the higher power up till today, if you haven't, is because you've blocked it out with a closed mind. We have the power to block out anything. If you're new and you were sent here by the courts, you can block out AA. You can put your arms like this and go, none of this is getting in here. And then you can claim later on, erroneously, that AA doesn't work. I went there, nothing happened. I went there, nothing happened. That's right, you didn't let it happen. You have the power to resist every word that I'm saying. And then walk out of here with nothing happening. So that's why we can claim, honestly, I never saw any evidence of God in my life. I never saw any evidence of a higher power. And we would be telling the truth because we never allowed it in. You see what I'm saying? And so that's why a closed mind prevents the entrance and the love of our family. All the wonderful things that are out there never came into us. Friends, all that wonderful love of friendship and all that that we heard other people talking about, none of that was in my life. So as far as I was concerned, other people were lying. What are they talking about? Nice people and brotherly love and all this wonderful thing in the world. I never saw any of that. That's because I didn't let it in. And so it's essential that we change. This is where we change our mind. Uh, we don't, as I say, we don't change our mind because we see a higher power. We change our mind because we see the rocks that we're going to crash on unless there is a higher power. That's what we show you is the fatal nature of alcoholism. And we explain how you are going to go all the way to the bottom unless you change your mind. And it's a fear of hitting the bottom that opens our mind very often in the beginning. Having said all that, and we get an open mind in our in the step, that's in our second step. We have to change our mind, come to believe in a higher power. Then we decide this has to be the top priority, and we start moving through, removing all the blockages to a higher power. We don't have to go to Tibet. We don't have to go anywhere. All the rest of the AA program is simply getting 
character defects or blockages out of the way. And we inventory them, we talk about them with other people, we clear up the past, and we learn how to live a day at a time keeping these resentments, fears, anxieties out of the way to the best of our ability. And that's where we left off the day at a time step a couple weeks ago. Now we come to a step that talks about conscious contact. That's what the 11th step. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Conscious contact is the whole purpose of the program. Conscious contact is similar to walking into a bar and having drinking money in your pocket and ordering three drinks and letting them sit on the bar. When they're sitting there, we don't have conscious contact with them. They're right there, but they're having no effect on us. We've got to do something to have the power of those drinks move through our lives, and the way we do that is by drinking. And once they're inside, remember that feeling? It took maybe 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden, you had conscious contact with the alcohol. Remember when it came up into your head and it said, disregard all previous anxiety, everything's wonderful. Do you remember that? That was, that was called conscious contact. With, so you can see it's a very important event to have happen, conscious contact. And how is this done? Well, the steps are clearing the way. We're talking about, and we're going to read the prayer of St. Francis in a minute. Opening a channel. We need a channel open so that this power, this serenity, this correct perspective on the world can come in. And there are very old techniques that are designed to produce conscious contact. And they are called prayer and meditation. There's nothing new about this. Prayer and meditation are common to all philosophies and religions. It's how people achieve conscious contact so that they can have this um, change that comes about where everything looks better. It's just simply that. You have the power to see the world in a much better light than you can see it from your own uh, jumbled up thinking. And so we, we start in with having to change our mind about meditation. I mean, everywhere we go along in the steps, you find that we're going to resist it. And meditation is one of the biggest ones. We're going to try something in a second. And you'll see what I'm talking about, especially if you're new. <clears throat> meditation, I just heard that word and I said, oh, that's for people over in the Far East. That was my whole thing when I got to meditation. And I don't I do not do that. I'm here in Washington, D.C. and I don't see any signs of meditation around here. And so I just sort of dismissed it because it was something I wasn't familiar with, I was uh, put off by, I didn't think it up, I don't like being told what I'm going to do next, you know what I'm talking about, there's a whole bunch of reasons that I'm not going to get involved in meditation, I'm getting along without it now, barely, and so there's all these reasons, but as time went on, I kept hearing other people who probably had a more open mind than I did, who got sober when I did, and all of a sudden they're looking better, and they're actually walking around serene. I said, what's going on? Oh, I tried meditation. Oh, really? I didn't know you were weird. I dismissed him. (laughs) Then somebody else would do it, and they would get better. Another weird person. And finally I said, well, if no one's looking, 
I'll go home and try that myself. You know what I mean? So all of us approach this sometimes rather self-consciously, rather foolishly, whatever your feelings may be towards this, because it's something that doesn't look like it should work. I mean, I'm just going to stop what I'm doing on a Saturday afternoon and go in there for 15 minutes and then come out and go, oh, come on, wrong. I can tell ahead of time without doing it that that's going to be a waste of time. So we have all of our mind is telling us a lot of things. And our mind is the whole point here. And we might as well get to the bottom line of this whole thing. Our whole reality only exists in our mind. And if your mind constantly tells you to worry, then you're going to worry forever. It's just going to stay that way. And meditation and prayer are both techniques to interrupt your mind. To interrupt it. To shut it up. Take a break over there. Which is what alcohol used to do. That's what it went. It went right up there and said, get off to the side with all that we got new powers to think different thoughts are going to arrive here. So we want a new power to think different thoughts. But when we first try it, it is very overpowering because old ideas, Bill talks about this, balk at investigation. They balk that somebody's going to get in and get them out of there and have some serenity take its place. And so if you're new, I go to a meeting where they have one minute of silence to start the meeting. Now, we're going to just try You know, one minute is nothing, right? It's absolutely quiet. It'll be over just like this. Just like this. You watch, if you're new, because I'm just going to count to myself and keep track of a minute. You watch and see how long a minute is when you're trying to be quiet. Now, you see, the world seems to specialize in how many things you can do at once. Well, I can type, chew gum, smoke a cigarette, answer the phone, take dictation, and keep track of all the basketball scores at once. Oh, that's nothing. I can go through all the things that you can do. That's wonderful. That's how many things. Now, can you do nothing? Can you do nothing? Can you absolutely do nothing? And we find that this is a skill that goes way beyond doing ten things at once is doing nothing, is to be absolutely quiet. And so for 60 seconds, we're just going to sit, shut your eyes, and we're just going to sit and be quiet. This is, if you're new, this is your first shot at meditation. Just to, And then we're going to talk about the feelings that we have from it. So just starting right now, just sit quietly, breathe very quietly, and we'll go quiet for 60 seconds. Anybody think that that was like five minutes instead of one? Now, you can feel the room. Feel how different the room is. I do. I can feel a tremendous difference in the room. Um, The step talks about thought through prayer and meditation. Thought. So this is an individual adventure. It is something that each one of us will be expected to do on our own. We can't follow something that someone else did on this one. This is, we go to libraries. So if you belong to a church, you can go there and talk to them about this. If you uh, have any literature on this, get some. There's lots of books that have been written about this, and it is something that we try. The point of all of this is to take our thinking to a different level. 
The thinking that we operate at most of the time is what disturbs us. It's on autopilot. If you're a typical human being, you get up with the same worries every morning. The alarm goes off and you go, money, or whatever your favorite way of waking up is. You know what I mean? He left me, or whatever it is, and it starts. It's like it's been resting up, just like you've been resting up, and it's waiting to get you as soon as the alarm. Hi! Hey, would you leave me alone? i got to go brush my teeth and go, oh, no, no, I'm going to give you a lot of... And then it starts. You're really nobody. This is going to be a rough day. Those people are out there. You're too fat. You're too skinny. you got to give up smoking. Whatever. And here it is. It's just all day long this is going out. And you're trying to somehow accomplish the best purpose you can in your life. Well, the thinking is down in the gutter. This is down at the most basic level of thinking. And we need a break from that. And prayer and meditation are both techniques that give us a break from the thoughts that are causing us all the problems there are. All the problems that we have come from our thinking. It just comes in and harasses us all the time. And so an absence of that thinking is serenity. Just think about that. That's what serenity is. It's not having those thoughts that bother us all the time. So just getting rid of them is the whole purpose of the, of the program, is to get rid of stinking thinking or harassing thinking or normal thinking, whatever you want to call that, and move it to what Bill refers to our intuitive level. We talked about in the promises, we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. In other words, there's another level of guidance that is operating within each one of us all the time. It is almost like a radio signal that will tell you exactly where you should be going, that you're on course, everything is fine, just follow this guidance. And our regular thinking is like static. Remember the old radios, those World War I movies in the Military trying to send a thing back. The enemy is and they're coming now. What? 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 Thanks. I, I couldn't get the whole message. You remember how that? And then you go, God, if you could only have heard the whole thing. Well, it was all this static back on those low frequency uh, frequencies, and you couldn't hear it. So our own static prevents us from hearing a very positive guidance signal that's going on all the time. In other words, you don't have to go find it. It's already there. It's inside, waiting. It's been the guide, attempting to guide us all our lives. And that's what conscious contact is. It is getting in touch with the reality that everything already is fine. That everything already is fine that you are being well taken care of. Stop all that thinking the, the other way. And so if we can use these techniques in order to get in touch with this, then it will become a reality in your own life, and you will then be able to believe it. But to start with, it requires a leap of faith. Nobody's going to show you anything. You have to try something that will feel, as it did in that one minute when we were going there, uh, that it, oh, I don't think this can work. So we have to persist at it. Prayer takes our thinking to a higher level. 
when I read, we're going to wrap up, when I read the prayer of St. Francis, it's just filled with thoughts. And I just want you to think about this if you're new. When we read this prayer, it's a wonderful little prayer. It's in the 12 and 12, and it's a wonderful technique for starting in on meditation is to read this three or four times and then just sit back and think about the, what was contained in it. Because these are thoughts that I don't think many of us would have come up with naturally. Now, when I read it, just tell me if these are the type of thoughts that just come to you all the time as you're clicking through life, okay? Just tell me if this is the type of thinking that you engage in. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred I may bring love. Hey, yeah, I think that all the time. That where there is wrong I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. To understand than to be understood. To love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. Now, do you have those thoughts? Or do you have, where's my Mercedes? You see what I'm saying? The most normal thoughts that come to us are about ourselves. And those cause us tremendous anxiety and lack of peace of mind. And so it is in raising our thinking to thoughts at this level that all of the rewards come in. And it just requires time to be set aside. As long as people have been in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you were to ask us honestly to to share how much time in a 24-hour day period do you devote to spirituality, you would find that there are some days when our truthful answer would be six seconds, minute and a half. I was crammed up this morning. I had a big business deal. had to get out. I mean... All of life's things take priority over what should be the most important thing in our lives. And so we come and have these meetings to remind one another to disregard the priorities that we have established in our lives and make time for this. Because this type of activity will generate incredible rewards. It's the whole purpose of the program is to enable each one of us to have this contact with a higher power. We're at the end of the time, and we've got a great way to wrap this up with the Lord's Prayer. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back. Work if you work it.